Okay. Um, I'm not sure. I feel like I have to do the whole entire Lord's Prayer today. Not the whole thing? Well, pretty much all of it. I mean, come on, Vicar. I, th- I know you can hear me down there. I know. So, yeah, so Bailey, so I don't know if you guys had a chance to actually read those last two chapters. I, I, th- I don't know which ones I actually, to be honest, he said I have to read two. So I just presumed it was the last two. Okay. I don't pay attention. It's like... It's like song titles. I don't pay attention. It's like track three on the album. I don't. I don't know the name of songs anymore. God, and then the, then the one after that, right? Okay, great. Sins and evil. So, Thy Kingdom Come is part of this, right? Okay, good. That's where we're starting, right? Well, I I thought you know since we're good old fashioned Lutherans. Oh, so turn to Matthew chapter six first of all. Matthew chapter 6, because this is like the context in which we get the Lord's Prayer, and that's theoretically what Bailey's using. Although there is a Lucan version of the Lord's Prayer also in Luke chapter 11. So in this one, though, the reason why I bring it up is because um, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And since we had talked about the Beatitudes just before this, you know, these are kind of uh, organically connected, life we live. But also within the uh, uh, chapter 6, it starts with giving alms and then fasting. And then in between that, you have this prayer. So there, uh, life, the life of a Christian and prayer are just, or, you know, that's just the way it is. People do this as Christians. However, what's interesting is that, um, uh, so in verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You pray, that's a, that's a first, uh, second person plural, so you all, when you all pray. Then if you jump down then to um, I guess it's still verse 5, never mind. No, no, verse 6. But when you pray, although it's the same phrase, um, it's, uh, it's singular. So he's speaking to all of you, and then when it goes to going into your room, you know, into your, like, prayer closet, and uh, which I have a funny story about that in Wheaton College. Um, when you go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, that's the singular. So what... Jesus is really talking about is so there's a kind of a corporate life and then kind of a uh, you know singular life or individual life of prayer and when we talk about the Lord's Prayer we've got to keep that in mind and that's but that's how we all, that's actually how we pray the Lord's Prayer we pray it corporately and we pray it individually where do we pray it corporately most obviously church Exactly. So as you study the Lord's Prayer, you have to keep these two things in balance when you think about the petitions. Okay, and this will become obvious here in a second. Okay, so um, that's real important. That's the context of Matthew chapter 6. There's this corporate and there's individual level of saying the Lord's Prayer. Corporate, though, is not an abstract 
When I say corporate, I mean, you know, community, a bunch of people. A bunch of people together working together according to the purpose, hence the name corporation, right? I mean, okay. So, um, so where do we get together as, as a, corp, a corporate body? And that's in the divine service. So as you think about what the prayer means, you have to think about it liturgically as much as kind of doctrinally or abstractly. Okay? All right. Maybe I'm making much to do about nothing. But I find that very interesting. Yes, Barbara. I, mean, I don't know if I read or heard, because I've had a lot of Bible studies with the other term, but um, when you brought up the corporate idea, it mm-hmm. had been mentioned wherever I heard it that even when you pray it individually, you really are praying it. Yes. Because there's others around the world who are praying it. Yeah, now. They're praying with them. Absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, where do we see that but in the words itself? Our Father. So, yes, even when you play it by yourself, you're always praying it, uh, it within the body of Christ. And I, and I always think of that when I pray it by myself. You know, I'm not just praying, I'm praying. Yeah, that's right. You're praying, praying, praying together. together. That's right. And, um, it, and that's, a, that's in Matthew chapter 6. Unfortunately, we don't see it in the English just because we have one word for you. Unless we're, you know, of course, unless we're in Texas, you all which is very helpful. Anyways, um, yeah, so, th- I mean, that, that's, that's exactly how the Bible speaks, uh, uh, but sometimes we miss it because of the English language. Yeah, so that's good. Always got to keep that in the back of your mind. And, and what I'll, I'll hopefully to do will kind of give a more concrete kind of reality of how this kind of flows into your daily life. Also, though, but since we're Lutherans, we've got we to bring up the small catechism. I mean, come on, the Lord's Prayer. I mean, all that effort that we learned in Confirmation... And you're wondering, you know, it's kind of like your algebra class. You're like, when am I going to use this in the rest of my life? <laughs> or your geometry class, maybe. Um, it's the same with the this catechism. When am I going to use this? Right now. No. We can recite it. Go ahead. Get it started. All right. So, <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, yeah, hopefully you can recite it. Uh, thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God comes indeed without our prayer of itself, but we pray in this petition that it may come unto us also. How is this done? When our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit, so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead a godly life here in time and yonder in eternity. This is the public public domain one. This is the public domain one that I can just rip off the Internet. Okay. Yeah, I didn't want to like uh, I didn't want to retype it out of the whatever the 1984 version or whatever. Okay. Now Kenneth Bailey in the book though, when he talks about Thy Kingdom Come, he he, he kind of gives these uh, different classical definitions of what that means, and I, you know that's fine, that's that's helpful. Um, but when we think about God's kingdom, we often think about time, space, and way of being. So time. Kingdom, meaning like, you know, how long does it last? How long has it been around? Has it been new? Um, and then space, or I'm sorry, time too also, uh, is it coming right now? Is it coming in the future? Has it come? Space, meaning like locativeness, you know, like uh, back in the Old Testament, sometimes people believe that the kingdom of God was within the promised land. Also then in terms of now, where is the kingdom of God? Is it really something just in heaven? 
And then the way of being. This is the word kingdom itself. In the Greek, you can also say it's, uh, it's like the way, uh, the way uh, of God. Not just the kingdom of God. It's the way how God works. It's the way of his being. So um, you've got to keep those all in, in, in place. And what we find out, even from reading Kenneth Bailey, is that the kingdom has come, it's coming, and will come. All right? So that, that's kind of hard to imagine. But it's, it's something where, as we... I think I might have said this about prayer before, is that prayer is an A and B conversation between God and, and the world, and you are letter C, and you're entering into this conversation. It's the same thing about God's kingdom, is that this, converse, this kingdom has been coming since the dawning of time. It, so it has come, it is coming, and it will come into a, uh, a, a fuller reality in the future. Now the thing is, though, where does God's kingdom come and this would be the objective and subjective nature of the coming of the kingdom. When I say objective, I mean something that happens outside of us. You know, um, well, let's, I mean, I think about the news and things that have happened. And we mentioned the tornado. The tornado happened in Texas. That's an objective reality. How would that be subjective for us? Or personal feelings, but even even more directly, if I yeah, if I if I had a house that got yeah blown up, um, so there's a couple levels of subjective reality and objective. So, and this is something. So when Thy Kingdom come, oftentimes we think about it in terms of maybe in a kind of a uh, outside of ourselves. But Luther's prayer is really helpful, or I'm sorry, definition. Is that God, kings, God, the kingdom of God comes without our prayer, meaning it's not dependent upon us. There's this objective reality. It happens. And then the next thing, though, we pray in this petition that it might come unto us or come into us or, or be part of us. So that would be the subjective. And obviously with the tornado, we don't want that. Surely. Right. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually connected, the kingdom and the will. That, that's what you're making reference to. Is there's this connection, and we'll kind of briefly talk about that, is that, um, well, let's just hang on to that for a second then, because we'll, we'll come back to it. So, we, okay, so when does, where does God's kingdom come? Ben, Kenneth Bailey, he made no, mention of it. God's kingdom comes precisely in the, in the person of, of Jesus. So the, uh, this idea is that... Um, the, king, the fullness of the kingdom of God is understood in Jesus. So, time, Jesus has come, is coming, and will come again. Space, meaning that uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. So, not only the promised land, the Sabbath, um, but then also the way of being we understand God's kingdom and how it's run. Right, by, by Jesus. So then, yeah, so the nature would be then in terms of like, then how does that come into us? And that's related to what Martin Luther said. Well, how does this happen? By the work of the Holy Spirit. So what you have now in the Holy Spirit is the fullness of the kingdom of God in your life. 
And um, of course, then when you look at Jesus, then you, you okay, so, so what kind of kingdom is it? It's a kingdom that is uh, kind of antithesis of like the old castle, where, you know, you had the castle and you had the king up in the, uh, you know, inside the castle. Jesus would be the opposite, right? He comes amongst his people. Um, then in terms of the uh, walls of the kingdom, obviously they're, I mean, if you want to have, if you need to have walls, I guess, since we're kind of thinking that way, the walls are ever expanding to include more people. And then in, in terms of the way of being, it's, it's primarily defined in terms of love, sacrificial love. So all that stuff's happening. So then when we say that kingdom come, that's all that's happening. However, when we pray corporately, so that's the liturgical coming, praying the Lord's Prayer in the divine service, um, we have to think about the location of the prayer. Like, why don't we pray the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of church? You know, or, you know, maybe in the middle. Why do we always pray kind of at the end? And why do we pray it just before communion or part of the service of communion? Why does that always happen? So um, that's all very important for us because... Uh, If you happen to, you know, find a little lull in the sermon and you want to open up your hymnal, you can look at one of the divine services and you'll see in the communion, the service of Holy Communion or the service of the sacrament, two options in which the Lord's Prayer and the words of institution happen. One is like what we do. The Lord's Prayer is before the words of institution or the verba. And then the other one is where the Lord's Prayer is actually after the Verba. Both of those are fine, but both of those actually deal with the objective and subjective kind of realities of the kingdom coming. All right, so within the liturgy, where does God's kingdom come based on what I just said about being found in Jesus? Yeah, that's right, in the Lord's Supper. I mean, you could also say in like God's Word, too, However, um, I would say kind of primarily God's kingdom's coming in the person of Jesus, who's coming precisely in the Lord's Supper. Now, given that, as we pray the petition before the sacrament, that's kind of what, that's the concrete kind of connectedness to it. We pray that God's kingdom comes. Well, we pray with great confidence that as we pray in Jesus, it will come, and in fact, it does. Praise the Lord. Answer prayer. Now, when you take a look at the hymnal and you see it prayed after, uh, so how, where does God's kingdom come? Remember, it has come, it's coming, and will come. So by that presence of Christ in one's life, then we now uh, have received the kingdom come, that came, in a sense, if you want to put it that way. And then now, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but, you know, we take the kingdom with us, and so now we're praying that it comes on earth as it is in heaven. So, but we'll get what to that in a second. The, I don't know exactly where you're saying that it is. Is it after you've re- actually received the sacrament that you would pray the Lord's Prayer, or is it... No, no, after the words of institution. Words yeah. Were yep. Okay. I but at, but at the verba, we know that Jesus is present right. in, in, in the, the sacrament. That's, okay. you know, that's why we ring the bells. Yep. 
But then that reality doesn't just stay there. It is received in us and comes with us. So it's kind of fun. I mean, I think that's kind of interesting because then that, that goes to what Shirley has said before is that when you think about your mission, you're not thinking in such you know, kind of very simple terms, but now your, your, your uh, reality is now broadened into like kind of a cosmic life. It's amazing. The service was obviously designed for that, but I never learned that as well. Well, yeah, I mean... And the, the order was... Well, that's because you're just, you're just trying to get through this part in confirmation, right? I mean, you're just trying to learn this. I mean, how much more can you get, right? I went for three years. You'd think someone would have been able to run that <laughs> But, I mean, it's obviously designed that way, and yet you don't... That's right. And yet people don't... I mean, Scott and I still recall we went to... I don't even want to say what church it was. It was here in the suburbs. Um, a friend, the other was a pastor, and he literally gave right before... It was either before the verba or right before the distribution. Oh, boy. He announced yeah. the church chicken supper. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, you know, supper, uh, Eucharist, it's kind of connected. But I was like, he's a pastor, and he doesn't even appreciate that. What's going to just about the Right. Yeah. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, I, yeah, I, mean, I think, too, I think, um, yeah, well, I also, I also think there's kind of a more fundamental kind of position in terms of teaching, like, doctrine, is that doctrine has been so kind of abstracted from life that our doctrine is just kind of ideas, you know, we're just learning the stuff, and it's not really kind of connected on the ground level. But doctrine, the doctrine is very important. I mean, it's, it's the most important thing. However, doctrine, or the way we believe, is directly connected to the way we pray or the way we worship. And really, the way we worship is the fountainhead of our life, you know, at our homes, and our jobs, our families. So what we believe is directly connected to the way we worship. And the way we worship is directly connected to the way we live. So all these are, are, are coming together, and I, I mean, that's kind of the goal for today is just kind of chat about this to see how this is all connected. Um, and Yeah, and so, so like, okay, so for instance, so, so let's, uh, I was going to wait till the end, but let's just do this now, is that, okay, so let's say life is crazy, and I, I, I can't believe that, I mean, God's kingdom is not in this earth. All hell's breaking loose, and, you know, I, I can't imagine this. So, as a Christian, where do we run to to remind us and to experience that God's kingdom is actually coming? Yeah, I mean, we go to church. I mean, we go to the Eucharist. I mean, this, um, you know, so, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's one of these amazing things where you uh, experience, like, in Siberia, where these people have gone years without the Eucharist, um, but that's exactly the thing that they longed for because they know at this this is where we know our hope lies. This is where Christ Christ is among us and bringing His kingdom. And this that kind of opens up kind of a reality is that because oftentimes you know when life gets rough or we've sinned or we've been sinned against, what do we often draw away from? Right, 
church. You know, because, I mean, the devil, which goes to lead us not into temptation, but the, the accuser, and this, uh, I think I quote Bailey in this, uh, I thought that was really great, where he, he quotes Father Mata or something like that, where lead us not into temptation is, um, it, it, when we pray that, it doesn't stop the devil from being the devil, being the accuser, but it, it prays to strengthen us against the accusations. So the devil, as you know, let's say we sinned and we, we've been sinned against, what is the devil doing in our ear? He's accusing us. You deserve this. You're terrible. You're not good enough. And so we pull back from God's kingdom because we say, I don't belong in God's kingdom. I'm not worthy of God's kingdom. Or well, you don't deserve this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole nine yards. Whatever works. Yep. But <laughs> Jesus... Jesus in this whole thing here is, is saying the exact opposite. Yeah. I'm giving you this prayer so that when you have nothing to pray, you pray this. When you have no place to go, you go here. Um, and, you know, it's so simple, right? And sometimes when we, when we participate in it all, all the time, it becomes very mundane. And so, but that's also part of the problem too, right? Is that, uh, well, I think... Which deals with Thanksgiving, just the whole notion is. But that's, that's for later. All right, so third peti- petition. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think Bailey kind of separates things a little bit, but I'm just going to go with the small catechism. The good and gracious will of God is done indeed without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. How is this done? When God breaks and hinders every evil counsel and will which would not let us Hallow the name of God, nor let his kingdom come, such as the will of the devil, the world, and our flesh, but strengthens and keeps us steadfast in his word and in faith unto our end. This is his gracious and good will. All right, so, you know, Luther here, that's, that's kind of pretty helpful. Um, but the will of God, and this goes to Shirley, so we have uh, the kingdom and we have the will uh, being both manifested in Jesus but when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, the will of God is happening in heaven, you know, always. But we pray that that will be, would be carried out in us. So the will of God is understood in Jesus, and in a sense you can say that Jesus is the will of God. However, Luther's important in that, that one, uh, how is this done, is that the role of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit delivers Jesus. Uh, so you need to include both of these in this kind of will. And the Holy Spirit role, um, yeah, it's... During the resurrection, or the Easter gospel lessons, Jesus keeps mentioning this Holy Spirit. I mean, he's mentioned the Spirit, I think, at least five out of the seven weeks specifically, which, of course, is building up to this Sunday, Pentecost. So when Jesus, you know, so you talk about how you know he's going to go away, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to go away, but he's not going to leave us as orphans. I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. And so you have this kind of playful kind of relationship between the Holy Spirit and Jesus so that you know the will of God because of the Holy Spirit who then draws you back to Jesus. And um, so where does this will take place? Well, 
you have this will that takes place inside the church. That's the Holy Spirit's working. The, the, um, the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of the good news. But you also have this will happening outside the church. And what would that be? So, I mean, that would be that's kind of a more general thing. Because Luther says his will is what? At the end? It's gracious and good. Thwarts evil. Um, brings faithfulness. However, things happen outside the church. And we always say what? How, you know, why did God let this happen? So like the tornado mentioned in Texas. Well, sometimes we need, I got this out of the Lutheran, freshly out of the Lutheran witness, either last month or this month. Okay. Matt Harrison wrote, you know, about how God does send us bad things. So we realize that we're totally dependent on him. You know, if you didn't have anything, then you know. Right. Not, some people would probably turn away and say he's terrible for doing that, but a good Christian should not do that. They should run to him and say, you know, I'm going to cling to you. Right. So, but the idea is that so when we think about the will of God, this will is all-encompassing. And that there's nothing that happens that's outside of, like, it's not like God's not in control. However, though... Okay, yeah, so, so hang on, slow down. So this is right then, because in the moments of crisis or craziness, what's the church's role in that? And that's the hands. That's, so we run to these places of chaos and catastrophe to show this good and gracious will, because at the same time in this chaos, it looks like God's will is, is not in control or God's not in control. See, uh, Luther in related to this petition is that Luther always had a very simple bit of advice for those who were struggling with kind of kind of what's happening in their life. And he would always drive them back to the foot of the cross because regardless of the craziness of what's happening, the being at the foot of the cross then kind of reorients one's persons to the most fundamental located location. Yeah, exactly. So, so you think about the like uh, uh, Jesus, perfect love, Son of God, came to save the world, being crucified. That there's no other place in the world that's more chaotic, and more uh, awful, and more against God's will than right there. However, since we know the fullness of the will of God, and that all things work for those you know good for those who believe in Him. That is the primary point then where we kind of start piecing together the craziness of, um, of what's happening in our life. So, Sometimes we cause it by what we do because I know in the Old Testament he said to the children of Israel, I didn't want to do this to you. I wanted to bring you right to the yeah, right. promised, land. promised land, but you goofed up and said you got to wander. I mean, he didn't use those words. No, you're, you're exactly right. So, so when Luther, so this is important. So such as the will of the devil, the world, and our flesh. So um, but all these other things are happening, exactly. But, you know, sometimes when we, we, we make these stupid decisions, we're like, why did I do that? You know, you did it, but you didn't do it. You know, there's this kind of weird, this weird thing going on in our souls. And um, 
you have to accept responsibility, but you also have to realize that this is a battle and, and sometimes you lose even against yourself. It's kind of weird because it's, yeah. Anyways, um, so where does this will take place? I mean, so this is important. So uh, the will of God that happens outside the church is something where we don't always make sense of. Like, I mean, this idea that all hell is breaking loose. But it's the church with inside the church, which is the light of the world, that then can help make sense of what's happening all over. But, but, but hidden-wise, though, I mean, this is not like you go to the foot of the cross and you're like, oh, right, this, this is great. It, what actually would is it gives you the path kind of to lead out of it. Yeah, it, it doesn't answer all the questions. Did I write this down? Well, no, I didn't, but I should have. Um, yeah, so, so the will of God is, 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 is still beyond our comprehension. So we just look towards Jesus to have what we can actually hang on to. That's Isaiah 55. Your, your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. Oh, so also, so lastly, and this is just kind of a, a note. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven, it's not as if it's not happening on earth. It is happening on earth. It's a matter, uh, more of a question is, how is this will being carried out? Meaning, um, is, it, is it being carried out rejoicefully or forcefully? I mean, there's this, are you running with God or against God? Oh, so, okay, yeah. So where is the will of God being done in the divine service? Is, I mean, it's kind of, yeah, right. It's real simple. Yeah, right. Yep. So it, it so the so there's this objective reality, meaning God's word is being uh, read, spoke, uh, preached on. God's uh, body and blood is you know. So there's this objective reality. Now the thing is, though, you can come to church and these things are happening, but but yeah so now not only do we have the objective reality but we also have the subjective reality that we we actually want to believe this stuff um and so yeah so that that's another thing too is that you have these two things going on where they could be happening with or without you and of course we pray that it happens with us or in us and um yeah okay yeah okay great there we go that was an easy one, but I'm just going to keep rolling because the vicar gave me most of the Lord's Prayer to go. I know. I mean, he made it easy on me. So does it feel like we're running through it and we're just touching on the surface? Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, this is probably my least favorite of the small catechism. But I think, I think we can make it work. So, uh, God gives daily bread even without our prayer to all wicked men. That, that's nice, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Why do we have to mention wicked men right away? But we pray in this petition that he would lead us to know it and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. Yes, Marilyn, you are right. Okay, what, uh, what is meant by daily bread? Everything that belongs to the support and wants of the body. The whole nine yards, everything. You can read all that stuff. All right, so um, that's true. Well, this is where, um, and the like. 
That's kind of like the job description. <laughs> you know. Yeah, all things is assigned. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, pretty much everything. So whether you have some or all, there is this notion of Thanksgiving, and that, that's real helpful. And um, I think for Martin Luther, this is my own working theory, is that people were so connected to the kind of like the church and the liturgical life that you know we're just we're just talking about daily bread apart from like the corporate and the the personal. I don't know if I just made sense there. But anyways, uh, bread with Thanksgiving. Um, that's very important for us, which deals with um, aware of where your bread comes for, from. Okay, comes from God. But then also understanding the giftedness of this bread. So whether we have a little or a lot, we receive everything from God. And, you know, receiving things, that's, that's a good thing. That's, that's a thankful thing. That's something that we rejoice in. And so, um, you know, you see this often, too, like when you travel or just watch the news. I mean, you see these people who have nothing, but yet, at the same time, they are thankful for what they have. I mean, they're, they're joyful. They're happy. I mean, that really kind of reorients us here, you know, who might have more than others. Um, yeah. Also, uh, so the bread comes from, you get this in the large catechism. Our bread comes from God, but who does God use to bring bread? Yeah, I mean, everybody. So then now, within this petition, then we have a place in the giving. So not only have we received things, but we are givers too. So those who have can give to those who, who don't, have not. Yeah, Jan. Oh, yeah, right, that's right, at the end of the chapter there, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I, yeah. Well, when it comes to food, I would say the United States is not leading the world in, like, health. I mean, considering, you know, heart disease and all this other nonsense that happens from the foods we eat. Um uh, did I actually? I didn't. I, I think I took that out. Yes, I did. Where your bread comes from, not only from God, but also from what kind of farm does it come from? What kind of chemical? I mean, the whole nine yards. What you're putting in your body is important, but I don't want to get onto that subject. Because Pastor Brzezik will just tease me more. <laughs> right. To the neighbor lady there, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, um, the word our in the Our Father, that, that's been a huge deal for me when I, when I was in um, seminary. I had this little pet project I always asked about the word our. Like, who is the our in the our father? And, um, you know, because the the prayer is it a Christian prayer or is it a is it a non Christian or is it for anybody to pray? And realistically speaking, it's it's a Christian prayer, even though we you know you hear prayed all the time by you know at a civil function or things like that. But well, you can only pray Our Father if you have the sonship of Jesus. 
Jesus is the one Son of God, the one true Son. And those who are children of God, and when I say children, I mean it more in a theological sense, not in a general, we're all made in the image of God. But, um, yeah, so then, then it would be a Christian prayer. However, even, even at the seminary, it wasn't necessarily used in that kind of way. So, um, yeah, and it, it always came to point of reference when we would be praying kind of in a nationalistic way, where I would think about my, the uh, guys from Africa or from northern Scandinavia, like northern Europe, who would be in the chapel, and we'd be praying for, I mean, for our soldiers. Well, okay, but the hour is the hour. Now, again, there's a kind of a cultural reference and who's mainly in the church. And I said, yeah, that's okay, that's fine. Because um, it, it wasn't against praying for soldiers. It would be how we'd be using this because, um, or like our president. Well, I mean, that's, that's less politically. I mean, that's, you have someone from, <laughs> from Kenya. I mean, when you say our president, he's like, well, that's, that's not. You know, that's not more that technical. However, when it comes to the hour daily bread, now this becomes very interesting because, yes, bread is for all. However, when we find out where we're from, what is our role in that daily bread, our daily bread? Yes, this is ours. Ours for what? Yeah, exactly. So... I think it's, it's kind of interesting because the word our has not only a, um, it identifies people in, in terms of a group, but also identifies our, our work, our job. Well, yeah, so this would be then go, what sort of bread is this? Matthew 4, 4, this is the temptation of Jesus. And Jesus says, that, you know, you shouldn't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. So, yeah, um, so liturgical bread. Again, I, I'm really kind of, this prayer that's prayed in the liturgy has liturgical context. So the fulfillment of this prayer is first fulfilled in, in worship. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, Carol, yeah, nine, yeah hit, hit a home run, absolutely. Um, in fact... Okay, yeah, we, again, it's on the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, this is... That's right. Yeah, it's all, yep. We, we don't have time, though, because I have to teach the whole Lord's Prayer today, so we don't have time for that, so... <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm, I'm totally joking. No, no, this is important. So, okay, so where do you receive bread within the divine service? That's obvious. You receive it in the sacrament, yeah, in the Eucharist. Where does this bread come from? So this is where we have the temporal and eternal sources. It comes from God because Jesus is the bread from heaven. However, and we don't see this in our worship service that much anymore, but we take just before the service of the sacrament, what do we, what do we, what do we take? We usually say, or what do we give? Our offering, right? We give our offering. But back in the old days, you would give whatever you had. The pastor would take the bread, would take wine, or whatever you had. Obviously, we take our, your money, and we buy the bread and wine. So it's kind of the same, but sort of different. So God takes this temporal reality and, you know, explodes it into this eternal source. 
And then that means, what is the bread for? And this is what we find out, is that our temporal bread is for living. But of course, the living that we live isn't quite understood in the way that Jesus wants it, unless we have this eternal bread at the same time. So our bread is for living. Well, what kind of life are you going to live? Well, we learn that from receiving the bread of the Holy Eucharist. So, um, yeah, so the living, we don't live inside church, though. We have to leave, and that, then that kind of goes to this next, next one. Um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Um, we pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look upon our sins or deny such petitions on account of them, for we are worthy of none of the things for which we pray, neither have we deserved them, but that we would grant them all to us by grace, that he would grant them all to us by grace, for we daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. So will we verily on our part also heartily forgive and also readily do good to those who sin against us. All right, so I think Kenneth Bailey does a good job of kind of describing, because if we read in Matthew, it, the word trespass is not used. It's debts and those who are indebted to us or our debtors. That's it, our debtors. Um, which then kind of deals with a uh, transaction sort of thing. Um, sins we've committed by doing and not doing, uh, which deals, hopefully, when you read Bailey, kind of echoed our uh, general confession. Yeah, Nancy. See that there was a thing in the Tribune today about a new website, and this is forgiveness in the, in the Internet age. Yeah. A website where you can write in sins you've committed, and if people will forgive you, you will donate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had I did not see that. That was in the Tribune today. I'm I'm pretty sure I probably will get a paper clipping. Yeah, right. So yeah, this is interesting because it's in the within the black hole. But again, though, it's for charity, which is just kind of interesting, right? And it's like that's how that's your penance is that everybody who writes and says yes, they will forgive you. You will donate a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Of Interesting. That's really clever. Yeah, this is interesting. I this is fascinating, Nancy. Super clever. Yeah, it comes off that forgiveness is a Yeah, this is interesting. I would like to find uh, learn more about this. Yeah, wait. What's the? I'm curious too. What's where? I'm gonna have to check it out. It's in the trib though. Well, I mean, this is so. This is yeah. This is interesting because um, the the nature of the the word trespass or debts is um, you know something we owe somebody else now. But the idea is that we've sinned against God, you know, and that um, you know God's uh, paying our debts, but also removing the guilt of sins. Now, the um, Small catechism, though, is really set on the sins, like not counting our sins against us. He doesn't necessarily, and maybe he could, but it's not completely obvious, this notion of debts. Um, So, uh, oh yeah, forgiveness purifies the struggle for justice, which deals with like the debts of making wrongs right, which is Matthew 18. Now the thing is, though, is that um, in Matthew 18, the, the notion of 
debt is kind of interesting because the guy who's in debt, it's not like he stole the money. You know, this is important for us. Like there's this, the guy, he was lent the money, you know, kind of a legal transaction happening. Um, however, he obviously entered into this legal transaction without any real means of paying it back, right? So you, um, yeah, so, so there's this kind of this, this thing that this, when we are indebted to others, um, you know, we have this responsibility of living in relation to that person that isn't, um, you know, that's, that's going to give something back, that, that we have this kind of life of exchange. However, though, what Bailey, though, brings out is that um, the notion of forgiveness, though, is that, or the debts that we forgive those who, who haven't even asked for our forgiveness, citing Jesus on the cross. And that's pretty hard because that would be then, uh, it's a slippery slope for a lot of people because when you start forgiving somebody who sinned against you before they've even asked for it, Oftentimes, then, we pretend, what, it, it never happened. And we put ourselves back into this situation where we will be sinned against once again. And, you know, if you, I mean, think about the abuse and abuser, right? I mean, so there is a real, uh, real danger there. However, what Bailey talks about, though, is justice, the struggle for justice. And how, let's, so let's talk about the abused and abuser. The one who's abused, yes, forgives the abuser, but then fights for, for justice. Which doesn't mean going back into that relationship and getting punched in the face again. But then holding that abuser accountable for the actions and making those, yeah, making the wrongs right. You know, I always, I always think about this with uh, children or, or especially as students get into adolescence and high school and they're starting to think very abstractly about, about life and about their relationships and they realize that their parents have basically are just not good parents and like they're struggling to, what, what are they supposed to do now? And, you know, so you have this, this child who is trying to seek justice with their parents, yet at the same time, it, I mean, it's very fascinating how easy children forgive their parents. I find that very interesting, up to a certain point. And then once they cross that line, it's, they'll never forgive them ever again. Um, and so, you know, this, this idea of, of forgiveness, though, that when we pray to God for forgiveness, that directly affects how we treat others to our life of forgiveness. Um, and so I'm glad that Bailey brought in this notion of justice because uh, it's, it's very important for us as forgiven sinners. I think it's, uh, oh, that's right. So the NPR story that Carol Holter s- sent to the pastors, wasn't that you, right? The Martha Mullen story. She helped arrange for the burial of Tamerlan Zarnoff, the Boston bomber. She's a Christian lady, and she helped arrange that. A lot of people were against it. Yeah. 
but I, I think that she actually lives this out. That's very. I mean, it's very fast. She had no. She had no. She had no agenda. According to the story that I read from the NPR, she had no agenda. She just felt like this was the right thing to do. Like she wasn't making any kind of ecumenical theological statement. This guy didn't have a burial plot. He deserved it. Human dignity, and this is what Christians do. This is very interesting. Yeah, and are, are going to make it out into something that she wasn't actually doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was very interesting. But they so, didn't tell anybody where they buried it, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's in an Islamic cemetery, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's an interesting historical connection. That's it's true. Did you get off the confession website? I mean, no. okay. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's part of the thing is that she wasn't making a big deal about this. Somebody got the wind of it and then ran with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the sense of justice is uh, this person deserves dignity. Is, 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 is this person deserves... Yeah, right. I mean, deserves a, a relationship. Oh, yeah, right. Just do them. I know. It's extraordinary. I don't have a watch on, by the way, and I can't see the clock. All right, what time is it? Oh, okay. We're, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll wrap it up here in one second. But the... Oh, um, is that... Uh, so, yeah, Kirby's absolutely right, though. And this is where the reality is, though, is as you pray this prayer, this is why you pray it, because... We need all this stuff. We need help in to kind of figuring this stuff out. I think the, uh, um, the, the, the one thing, too, though, is that uh, on May 26th, uh, we're going to have adult Bible study in the gym, and it's going to be uh, the kids, the, the children will be in it. It's, I don't want to say it's intergenerational, but it kind of is. And what's interesting is these children are in the age uh, that some of the kids are in this age where they begin to realize that life isn't fair. And what we f- you find out is that um, kind of human development-wise is that many people, like, can't, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to, like, move beyond this and, because it's just normal. And then you find other children, whether it be through like a like a traumatic event, or a kind of a huge life transition, where they've basically realized that sometimes life isn't fair, but that there is like life after the unfair event. Like how how like kids even at like an age of like twelve or thirteen or whatever, can then be like sp- like spiritually speaking, really kind of move beyond that. It's really fascinating. I mean, it's very fascinating how. So I, my whole, the whole Bible study though is to kind of demonstrate how children and adults are really not are are very are very similar, more than dissimilar when it becomes when we talk about spiritually speaking. And I mean, there's like, uh, I mean, this it's true. I mean, the statistics are, are painfully obvious where you have. Uh, children who are basically more spiritual, mature, uh, mature spiritually than adults, even though when you look at them from a, like an intellectual or human growth perspective, they're still little kids. I mean, it, it's fascinating and how they articulate things. So it, it's one of these things where we pray the Lord's Prayer because 
whether it's the first words, our father, or the evil one, in between, we, you can find your spot where you struggle with something in this prayer for the rest of your life. And, uh, and that's why we keep praying it. I mean, it, it's something that, because it keeps working on you. I, I mean, so, yeah, but by the way, you should go to the Bible study. It'll be a lot of fun. It's going to be really awesome, or it's going to be complete chaos. Because we have the children in there, and it's going to be great, because we're going to kind of demonstrate what we do at St. John for all you who maybe don't get to see it quite often, and then see how you you and the kids are, are just are, are very close. I, I, I think it's fascinating. And that's not a, that's not a bad thing. Actually, that's actually a good thing, because, you know, Jesus pulls up the child as being the penultimate disciple. I mean, that's another thing, too. But Okay, but anyways, back to the point is, yes, we struggle with these certain things our entire life, and we need to keep working at it. Bread and forgiveness side by side. I, You know what? Um, so the bread and the forgiveness are connected in the Lord's Prayer. That's obviously connected in the liturgy. You know, the body and blood of Jesus is for the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Um Oh, so, but this is kind of the, the turn now is what happens in the divine service. Oh, stays in the divine service, um, but also doesn't stay in the divine service. Your sins stay there, but your forgiveness doesn't. Your life doesn't. And so that goes on with the next thing. Lead us not into temptation. You know, um, all right, I, let's just see here. Bailey had interpreted it as very interesting. I, I really appreciated his. And when you lead us not into temptation, he imagines this guide who's leading them through the desert. And the trial, temptation also means trial because God does not tempt anyone. So, um, yeah, to not lead the people into a tight spot. You know, hey, guide, I forgot the guide's name. Tacky, Uncle Tacky or something like that. Tiki. Yeah, Zacky, Zacky, that's right. And, uh, you know, hey, make sure you don't lead us into, you know, into death, basically, because they, they put all their trust on this this guide. I thought that was really interesting. I think that's probably really helpful. But, um, yeah, so where, where is Jesus leading us? He's leading us out into the world. And precise, I mentioned this earlier. When we pray, argues Father Mata, we are protected by Jesus and his cross from Satan and his attacks. Satan the accuser is not prevented from his work as the accuser, but the disciples are instructed not only to pray in general, but to pray for deliverance from the times of trial that... I don't know what that last part is. That's what happens when you tie real fast. Um, Anyways, so I think that's important when we talk about trials, tribulations... And we see that in uh, the Gospels itself, as Carol made the connections with the earlier petition. Uh, Lead us not into temptation. This is seen primarily in Peter later on when the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus says, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. It's the same wording. Um, Because that's where the devil is, is at his worst at those nights. Our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed. Satan already entered into Judas. Now he's going to attack Peter. I mean, he's, yeah. So this is a, this is a, again, kind of the penultimate 
example of how you can be led into tribulation and trial and how some succumb to it, Judas, and then how some even uh, even though they do a poor job, they can make it through it. Peter. All right, well, I didn't realize that I forgot my evil one, but that's okay. I didn't put it in there. This is the time to go. Um, the evil one is really important. I think that's, that's for us. Oftentimes we say leave it uh, evil. We leave it abstract. That's, that's okay, but the evil one really makes it concrete and delivers us from the evil one. Anyways, liturgy and life. So the Lord's Prayer, as I already mentioned, when we start with the liturgy, we start to put kind of a, a, a framework, a concrete framework on the prayer, which then directly helps us then live life. And then when we pray it in our personal life, we look back towards the liturgy and then also look forward to the liturgy so that as we live in between our times with Jesus at the Lord's Supper, it helps us, it strengthens us from what we receive and gives us hope to then interact with Jesus again at the Lord's Supper. Um, Anyways, that's it. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.